Hi folks, welcome to Women Work and Wisdom. My name is Diane Lai and this is episode 9. Thanks for your awesome feedback. Um, the sound again, we continue to improve. This time around I am in Monica's kitchen. So again, you can reach us on our website womenworkwisdom.com on iTunes and Google Play, women spelt W-O-M-E-N. I welcome your feedback and look forward to any comments that you may have. As also, please rate us on iTunes and Google Play and please rate us and send comments or you can always email us at womenworkandwisdom at gmail.com. Again, thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoy the show. Cheers. So Monica Goyle is my special guest today. She's a engineer, lawyer, and active professor at Osgood Hall Law School. She started with a love of history when her dad told her that you can't make any money studying and learning history. She then wanted to be an actress and was steered clearly away from that um, as she was good in math and science, kind of steered towards engineering. Once completing her undergraduate in engineering at Waterloo, she then went on to do a law degree at Osgood Hall. So many paths and so many interests. We talk a lot about startups and being an entrepreneur. She has a private practice and advises many small startups, uh, smaller medium startups on legal contracts and obviously on protecting their IP and has a love of cryptocurrencies. So we also have this long kitchen conversation regarding our own startups and at what point do you walk away, um, how to pay yourself. So I'm going to actually put that conversation in the epilogue because it was really before we started the podcast on her career, we were just brainstorming and chatting a lot about how difficult it is to start a company, grow a company, and then at what point do you decide you can't or you don't want to continue. Okay, so without further ado, Monica Goyle. So today I'm um, I'm an adjunct professor at Osgoode Hall uh, Law School in Toronto area, um, where I teach uh, law students about how to think about building an application, be it a mobile or a web application. So that's one of the things that I do. I also do other. Um, um, I do another course also with the law school. And I'm a law tech advisor to the law school. Um, So that's one hat that I wear. The other is that I have a private practice where I advise uh, businesses about, you know, agreements, you know, modifying agreements, you know, if they want to change their structure, how to go about uh, changing their corporate structure. So so I have a uh, legal business advisory kind of practice. And... um, yeah, and that, and then, I also have this uh, background and experience in building apps, and so I'm, as we were talking earlier, you know, looking to close down the existing one that I have, but I have that kind of interest and and um, area that uh, you know is still very interesting to me. So, is your career what you imagined you would be doing? Absolutely not. <laughs> it was, uh, I remember when I was, it's interesting because I remember when I was in high school, I had a lot of different interests. And um, I always thought that I was a little bit confused because I really was interested in history. So at one time, I remember going to my father and saying, I really like history and I think I want to do that in university. And my father 
and my background is uh, South Asian. My father's like, you can't make any money in history. <laughs> so no, you can't, you can't do that. So choose something else. <laughs> but, um, and I remember I was really strong in math and sciences. So that's where, you know, they kind of directed me. So that's where I ended up doing my undergrad in engineering. But I just, I remember when I was younger, just having a lot of interest in a lot of different things. And so now when I look back, I think it makes sense. My path, like how I got to where I am today, it makes sense. And my kind of like varied interest in what I'm working on right now also makes sense because I do have a lot of different passions and interests. Yeah. Was your what you're doing your dream career when you were young or did you have a specific career like um, all of your skill set from engineering to law you could have been an astronaut you could have been <laughs> a science, right it could have been so many different things I really wanted to be an actress <laughs> when I was younger so yeah I, I don't think that any of it fit my, what my was uh, what my dreams were when I was really younger so um, I even tried out for a um, one of those talent agencies. I don't know if you remember, but they used to have, we used to have these cartoons, like Saturday cartoons, yes. and in, and at the top there would be this, you know, apply to this acting talent agency or whatever. And I was really young at the time, and I just went and called them, even without my parents. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, calling about this ad, <laughs> and, then, and then they called us back. And my parents really didn't, you know, they were like, no, you're not doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So you wanted to be an actress, and you became a lawyer and an engineer. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> what forces influence the path you ultimately choose to pursue? Um, what I always, what I always say is that I followed my passion. So the, the biggest shift, I think, was going from engineering into law. Like, you know, when, when I made that shift, it was hard because engineering is like a very specific career and a very specific career path. And instead of kind of following some of the traditional routes, uh, like, I don't know, doing research or something like that, or being a business person in an engineering company or something like that. I didn't, I didn't follow any of those routes, and I ended up making what I thought was a big career change by going into law. Um, so, but I was always really interested in social issues and uh, human rights issues. So um, that choice was made because I. I thought that was more in line with who I was. And um, so that's how I made that shift into law. I mean, how I got into engineering, I, I got into engineering because I remember looking at a job board. I was at Waterloo. It was in actually the math department. I had started in math. And I remember going to the job board and at Waterloo, if you were in the co-op program, you would go to this job board and you would look and see all of the postings by employers. And there was 90% of the postings were around electrical and computer and, you know, jobs. And I said, that's where I should be because it was just clear looking at, at what was available that that was the, that's where the opportunity was. So that's kind of how I ended up in engineering. (laughs) (laughs) 
What were the milestones or seminal moments in your career that gave you pause, shock, or desire for change or reflection? Well, I started in, so I was, I graduated from Waterloo in engineering, and I was one of 10 women in a class of over 100 students. Um, And I think of us 10 women, there's maybe one or two that are still engineers. I think everybody transitioned into another type of career path. And um, I think that's a reflection of how difficult it is to be a woman in, in technology, in, in technology companies today. Um, and there's a lot of, I think, discussion about that in the media. And um, I, so I think that was a uh, part of the reason why it wasn't a um, comfortable or very rewarding experience. Um, the other thing, I think it was very hard to um, progress. Like I, I saw all my peers kind of progressing, like in terms of getting different opportunities and stuff like that. And and I knew that I was at the top of my class in engineering. So I knew that I was, you know, just as talented as some of these, you know, male counterparts and not, you know, progressing like they were uh, was was hard, was difficult, right? So do you definitely think gender played a part in that? Absolutely, absolutely. Do you think race played a part in that too? I don't think so because the tech industry is very ethnically diverse. You know, there's people from all kinds of backgrounds. And I was working in California. So after I graduated, I went to move to California and I worked in the San Francisco Bay Area. And um, at the end of the 90s, so in the the internet.com bubble time, and um, it was like, you know, it was people from all over the world who had been attract, who had been recruited and attracted to come to that area to work. Um, so you're you're working with like, you know, some of the brightest minds in the on the planet. Really. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. What was the riskiest or boldest career move you've made, and how did you evaluate the risks or reward? Um, so I started a company called, uh, it was called My Legal Briefcase. And so it was a technology, uh, startup. And, um, I see that as being the riskiest thing that I did, uh, because it was, I mean, at that time I had finished law school. I had gotten called to the bar, which means that I was licensed to practice. And what traditionally you would do is you would, you know, join a firm and you would practice for, um, you know, several years and then and then maybe you would start your own practice. Um, and instead, what I did was I said, I'm going to start this online platform to help people who were going to small claims court. Because what I saw was that there was a real lack of, um, at that time, uh, technology in the legal space and kind of self-help tools or, you know, ways that people could access legal services at an affordable price. And so I started this. And I remember having a lot of conversations with people who just 
they didn't understand it at all. <laughs> they did not get it. Um, even people in my family, they were like, I don't understand this. What are you doing? <laughs> um, so it was, uh, I, I saw that as taking a real chance. Excellent. And I'm sure you don't regret it, though, the learning and the... Yeah, I mean, one of the things when you're doing your own business is that you learn a ton. There's there's a, a lot of things that I just did not know, like about sales, marketing, finance, um, that I had to learn. And um, you're at the knife edge, like you have to, you know, y- y- there's some like urgency to kind of learning these things and doing those things. And so um, it's like, you're learning by like you know being thrown in the deep end of the water it's like you know how do you find how do you define success for yourself now um so i define success that i'm happy you know am i doing am i working and am i working with people that i enjoy am i doing something that makes me happy um that's you know my definition of of success do you think things have gotten better or worse for women in the workplace over the past 10 years i think that they've gotten better um i'm really uh hopeful after um we've seen this movement um the me too movement and we've seen a number of women who've uh, before not felt empowered to come forward and talk about what they've experienced in the workplace. I think that's going to continue. I think we're going to see other stories um, from women. Um, and I think that's all like uh, really um, uh, good and healthy um, for us. And it reflects, I think, to the, the reality that there's a lot of women who are now in the workforce and now they're feeling um, empowered to kind of speak about it. So I think that's a huge shift. I remember when I was younger, um, and if some somebody said something, like a, a male said something to you, um, you couldn't talk about it. You know, if you talked about it, um, you know, people would dismiss you. Oh yeah, that's nothing. You know, you're just being, you know, sensitive. Um, and uh but some of that stuff was not okay to say right so i think this is i think this is gonna make things much better for women well i think it's finally removed the shame that's right yeah yeah and it's, it's out there so that it's, it's definitely positive how have you been treated by other women in the course of your career That's a really good question. <laughs> I mean, have they been supportive, competitive, both? Um, yeah. In your in the era that you went through engineering, there would have been very few. Yeah, there was there was very few, and because there was very few, we were all very supportive of each other, um, and I think try to help each other as as best as we could, and and talk about you know the struggles that we were going through, you know, if we were going through. Uh, struggles. So I always felt that women were very supportive. I, um, I re- currently right now, so I have my own private practice, and um, not on purpose, but happen to have all women who were working for me at the moment, and um, 
it's it's a really interesting dynamic when you have all women um, in the workplace. Um, I feel like um, um, that we support each other, you know, to kind of be the best that we can. I feel like there's, you know, because it, we're all women, that there's not that some of that gender um, dialogue um, going on. Um, so it, it's a it's a very interesting experience. Did you have a mentor along your path? I've had several mentors um, along the path. Um, you know, I can think of some people in engineering who really helped me. Um, and when I got into practice of law, I had a few people that have really helped me as well. With the when I did the startup, I had a few mentors, um, people who were great. Um, I think mentors are really important, so I try and make myself available to people whenever they reach out to me as well to give them help or you know just you know help them out. What differences have you found working for a man or versus a woman? I have not had the experience of working for a woman. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, I think because even in, in the legal profession, it's really changing now, I think, because you're seeing the graduating class like over 50% women. So, you know, there's, there's way more women who are coming into the profession. So it's changing some of the demographics. But the older uh, lawyers in the profession are still they're still like predominantly male and so uh, even my work experiences in law um, I, I worked for men yeah so I don't have that experience <laughs> yeah. of, of what that looks like yeah if you could go back and give yourself two key insights to your younger self what would they be I would have I would have said to my younger self to be confident, you know, to take chances, like take, you know, I think sometimes I held myself back when I was uh, you know, younger and I should have, you know, maybe just been a, l- a little bit more confident and, and been willing to say, yeah, I can do that. And I did this. And instead of, um, you know, maybe not speaking up and saying, you know, this is what I've done and and standing up for myself. So I think that's uh, one of the key things that, you know, I would say to my younger self. And I I have a a niece, a young niece, and that's kind of the thing that I say to her all the time is that, you know, she's smart, that she's capable, that she can do whatever she wants to do. Okay, excellent. Um, Now, it's an opportunity for you to have a call to action. Is there anything you would like to promote or talk about or um, talk about your business um, if people are looking for legal advice? Yeah, I so I'm a lawyer um, and um, I'm a business lawyer. So if you're looking for a business lawyer, looking for somebody who has that technology background and um, um, maybe has issues or, or maybe has a technology company, or engineering company, um, I'd be happy to kind of assist them. And um, I'm located in downtown Toronto, and I I love the practice of law, and and I love working with clients. So right now, um, I have a practice. Uh, Part of my practice is working with 
companies who are in the blockchain and cryptocurrency space. So what I'd love is introductions or referrals to uh, people who are in that space who are looking for legal advisors. Awesome. So I will actually put that um, as a link to your website as well. Great. And then put that in the extra introduction of what you're looking for. Thank you. You're welcome. Hi, folks. My chat with Monica Goyle, lawyer, engineer, and adjunct professor at Osgood Hall, as well as wife, mother, and daughter. Monica really didn't know what she wanted to do when she was young. Everything from the love of history to wanting to be an actress and then finally being steered towards engineering because she was very good at math and science. And lastly, doing her law degree after completing engineering at Waterloo. So, so interesting that one of, she being one of 10 women in her class of 100, that she really thought only two potentially stayed within the profession. So I thought that was very interesting. Um, We also talked a lot about her interest now in cryptocurrency and how she works as an advisor to not only Osgood Hall, but also in tech startups and how to write contracts and protect your IP. So for any of you looking for help on the legal side for your companies, please reach out to her. We can also be found on womenworkwisdom.com, W-O-M-E-N, womenworkwisdom at gmail.com, and of course on Google Play and iTunes. Please rate us on Google Play and iTunes, and also please leave your comments or send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Lastly, we have the chat, our kitchen chat, that we talked about before I actually started formally doing the recording, and we talk a lot about starting a business, how difficult it is, to raise capital, how difficult it is to remember to pay yourself. So I've put that in the epilogue for any of you that are interested. And Monica go and I go into some big details about, you know, at what point do does a business run its course? And at what point do you slow down and decide to go a different way, either to try and sell it or to just close it down and morph into something else? Anyway, so I hope you enjoy that. And again, welcome all feedback. Thanks again for listening. Cheers. One of the mistakes that I made with doing the startup was, and I think a lot of founders do that, is deferring paying themselves. Yes. And so one lesson I learned is always pay yourself. (laughs) It's hard if you don't have a ton of revenue, though. I know. Right? (laughs) But then, then it's like, then you're, then like what what happened is I spent too much time like kind of putting the monies back into the into the business instead of paying myself. Right. And so with the idea that you know then you grow faster and blah blah blah. Right. blah. But um, I should have really been paying myself. Like instead of putting those monies back into the into, into the, the business business, yeah. I should have paid myself. So did you eventually close it down? The, my legal briefcase is still up. I'm going to close it down. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm, I'm going through the same thing is why I'm asking. Yeah. <laughs> I started an organic skincare line. Oh, wow. Because my son had severe allergies. Yeah. Right. And um, I was adamant about manufacturing in Canada so that I could control the quality of the ingredients. Right. Because he had severe allergies and offshoring it... Didn't trust for obvious reasons. Even um, manufacturing in Mexico and the U.S., unless you're down there regularly, 
you can't guarantee that they're not putting some standard ingredient in your product, Mm -hmm. basically, right? Sure, they're going to tell you, but are they really using organically certified, right? They're just charging you for it, but not necessarily Mm -hmm. doing it. And because he had such bad allergies, it it wasn't, it, it couldn't be compromised, right? The quality could not be compromised. And then so I did, it became a niche market, right? Because people with severe allergies knew that my products were lo- manufactured locally and therefore um, using only organic certified ingredients. But again, from a tech background, I'd never done consumer product, mm-hmm. right? And there are so many things I just didn't know, mm-hmm. right? And didn't think about because uh, ignorance is bliss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And one was, uh, software doesn't have a shelf life. Mm-hmm. Inventory turns, right? Uh, because I have a, using organically based products, you have a much shorter shelf life. Oh, yeah. Then again, totally didn't think about it. Because <laughs> that wasn't the objective, right? <laughs> and then distribution, right? Because again, now I have a short shelf life. You need quick distribution and quick inventory turns. But places like Shoppers and Sephora need your product, you know, just in their warehousing and distribution cycle. They need a product to be able to sit on the shelf for like a year. And that was just not going to be the case because I was using natural everything and natural preservatives. Um, Wow. Yeah. So there was all these things that became, like I said, way more challenging than I expected. And so we had distribution, but then it became like such an ordeal because it's basically consignment, right? If your product doesn't sell, they ship it back to you. If it is returned, they ship it back to you at your cost. If it goes Mm. bad in their warehouse because it's not temperature controlled, (laughs) it's your problem too. So there were all these things that were just like, Without massive amounts of capital, you can't mm. grow and expand. And then, given the inventory turns problem, right? And again, software doesn't go bad, so it wasn't necessarily something that I thought about. So now I'm at the stage where retail in Canada has imploded, retail globally has imploded. So you're really only selling online, mm. right? and again, very challenging because. You need to ship. I need to be. I'm shipping from Canada, so I have to. You know, I, I don't ship on a Friday because I can't have it sit in a truck in a warehouse that's not temperature controlled. Because my product can't freeze or be in extreme heat, right? It's not like so. There's all these things that again I just didn't think about. 